leading part. So where we stopped was we stopped on the fact that every leader must carry out shepherding duties to a certain extent. And one of the basic requirements of ordaining a leader is to watch their eagerness to relate with people and to be there for them and nurture them. One of the reasons why most people pass through the pastoral office, I didn't read this part out, um, in their ministerial development is to have better context to their call. A lot of people don't understand, especially people who feel that maybe they're called to like become prophets or apostles or something like the evangelists. Sometimes we don't understand maybe why God takes them to um, through a pastoral um, route. Yeah. So what what happens there is that sometimes God will bring you through the pastoral so that you can learn to have context to your um, to your work in that sense. So I think there's something that you need to you can use to stop it there. I think yeah. So there's some small yeah. Yeah, and then I think Ima put something under it. Yeah. Okay. Are we good? Okay. All right. So, one of the reasons why God would train people through the pastoral office, um, not because they're naturally pastors, is because when He brings them into other functions, He doesn't want them to forget how to relate with people. One of the things that we do, you know, within our network is, um. Sometimes we have all kind of flexibility. Sometimes we can ordain straight into an office, but generally speaking, we ordain sort of like in levels so that you can sort of gain mastery of different things. So maybe from a deacon, then to an elder, and then after you become an elder, we can now put in a specific designation, pastor, teacher, prophet, apostle, evangelist, basically. Or sometimes it might be a pastor first, basically, and then eventually you move into other offices. And I think things like that are good just for general experience in ministry in that sense. So that's why people like people um, go through that to get better context. Now, point eight. Now, this is very significant. It's important to know that I'm dealing with the office of the pastor. The office of the pastor is not less than others. Okay, not less than other offices. And we explore the ministry office and uh, grace of the new, in the New Testament context, the unique features and characteristics of the office of the pastor. So firstly, it's important to note that firstly, a pastor is an elder, which is in a generic sense of the position that every fivefold minister holds. By fivefold minister, of course, we know we're talking about Ephesians chapter four. The Bible says that Jesus gave gifts to men he gave pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and apostles for the perfecting of the saints, for the edification, of, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, so that the body, in summary, can come into the fullness. Now, it's important to note that a pastor is not a lesser spiritual office. Basically, a pastor is an elder. Okay? Everyone in the fivefold is an elder. By elder, we mean that you are a you are an officer or a senior citizen of the kingdom. That's what I mean by elder. Does that make sense? So as an elder, there is an expected level of maturity that you should have. And that's why when you begin to read um, First Timothy or Second Timothy, 
where Timothy, uh, Paul begins to talk to Timothy, and he says that the servant of the Lord must not strive. I had to teach a senior pastor that was that you always fight him. Why? The Bible did. I said, you always, you always fight him. You fight people. And that, have you not read that? The Bible says the servant of the Lord, an elder doesn't do that. An elder doesn't keep malice. Right? Pastors must not keep malice with their members. That's not, that's not behaving like an elder. You know, generally speaking, when we think of an elder, we think of one who is seasoned, one who is mature, one who is aged with grace, one who is wise in that sense. So it's important to know that a pastor is an elder and that the pastoral office, I was talking about the office, is not a lesser office as a lot of people have made it to become. A New Testament pastor is the now. This is the difference between a pastor and, you know, a ge the general call of believers to shepherd. A New Testament pastor is often the head and overseer of a local congregation. Let me deal with the apostolic bubble for a second. Right? The head of a local assembly is a pastor, not an apostle. But the pastor may be connected to apostolic oversight. But when it comes to a local assembly, so a local assembly is, let's say, C4K. All right, we have pastors that say Pastor Mary. Okay, they are the pastors in charge of that local assembly. Many people underestimate the the influence of a pastor. When Paul was referring to pastors, who he called elders in Ephesus, he called them overseers. That's what he called them. He called them overseers. He said, I, I, um, I, I charge you before God who, who, who has made you overseers of his flock. He was talking to pastors. He was talking to elders. Right? So a pastor is often the head of a local assembly. Are we together? Okay. And local congregation. And they must function with the spiritual authority, gift, and grace to govern over that congregation. I have seen people in trying to define the fivefold. They say um, prophets, one and guide, teachers, ground. Apostles govern, uh, pastors nurture, and they have all these things. And I get where they're coming from. But pastors govern. Pastors govern. In the Bible, to govern means to lead. When the Bible says in Romans 12 that he that governs, let him govern well. You're not head of like, um, what's it called? Conservative Party or, or Labour. <laughs> What's talking about there is that he that leads, let him lead or not. I believe that when we begin to do these things, and God is going to, obviously, this is, we're starting something here today, which is God is going to do. God is going to restore every fivefold ministry with its correct level of authority and dignity. And then you're going to see that the more people act with conviction and confidence, the more the church will thrive. Right? So, pastors govern. 
right? Many, people, many times people say apostles govern and pastors tend. But pastors govern because they lead the flock. One of the things I don't like is, as I was explaining to you, the, the supposed idea that because pastors tend flock or they have a heart for people that they are like spiritual softies and they don't have like a mentality for warfare. But who, who takes care of the wolves when the sheep is attacked? Shepherds. Yeah, it's the shepherds. When Paul was speaking to the elders again in Ephesus, he said, I know that when I, when I go, wolves are going to come. Right? God has made overseers to watch over the flock. So that means that pastors are not just people who care and have a soft heart. And are you okay? You sure? You know, pastors are people who function and govern with spiritual authority. In comparison to that, apostles are establishmentarians. They establish, but pastors have the grace for continuity. Right? I'm going to talk to you so deep about this subject. I have, I've been watching, <laughs> learning, studying. Apostles are establishmentarians. They carry the grace to establish kingdom influence in a place, lay down spiritual principles, protocols, structures, enable people to pioneer, raise leaders, train leaders. But the grace for continuity is pastoral. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. I've seen. I've seen apostles, anyway, firstly, actually, firstly, which is those where I'm going. Firstly, firstly, not all who call themselves apostles in their day and age function like apostles. Right? They don't go on any missions. <laughs> You, you know the funniest one is is evangelist. Have you stay at home? Stay at home. Stay at home. Stay at home. Instagram. It's like they pitied you that you've been in that church for long and just gave you the title evangelist. Stay at home. Wow. Right? Just said stress. Yeah. I kid you not. Yeah. So. There are people who have the title apostle. They don't do missions. They don't go out of their comfort zone. They don't stretch. They don't plant. They don't pioneer. They don't take new territories. They don't. And the, the my worry with the apostolic now is that it's almost like become the next level up. So when you've used the office of a pastor for a bit, yeah. then you're made apostle. You have arrived. No. I completely disagree with that. Right? But I think what is what's worse about that is apostles who are apostles but 
refuse to let pastors pastor, that one is even worse. Okay, we are intellectual people. At least all of you have degrees. Okay. If you read the scriptures, <laughs> at least that, when Paul was called to be an apostle, was he set over a church or was he sent out? He was sent out. He was sent out. He went out. He went on mission. So the apostles sit over churches and they do none of the two, either pastor or governor. <laughs> They, they don't do any of the two. They hinder the pastoral grace that could birth through the house. Okay? And they relinquish territories that God wants them to take. And do you know, can I share a bit deeper on this? Do you know what happens when you mess with the fivefold? What you have is a spiritually malfunctioned body. That's what happens. So certain churches today, the imbalance... Selling churches, the imbalance of selling churches today is simply a function of the fivefold not correctly administered across the church. Does that make sense? For some, it is the absence of the fivefold, maybe not connecting. Initially, when you when you're part of developing a house and all of those things, God will have those gifts in there. But it may take time for him to raise the people up. And what you do in that period is begin to connect and network and collaborate so that you don't miss out on that grace. Does that make sense? Okay. But generally speaking, whenever you find that or people are spiritually not balanced, oftentimes they don't get a spiritual balance there because all the graces... Jesus, Jesus is intelligent. He's smart. He gave five. He knew we needed five. That's why he gave five. All right. So what I'm talking about is that sometimes some apostles stand in the way of pastoral grace over local congregations. And what they end up doing, and let me, let me show you how it can work. It can work this way. So in my, let me just give up. In my mind, in my mind, what I really want to do is set people out. What I'm thinking of, let me just tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> what I'm thinking of is to expand and just send people from like London can go there. But that's what I'm thinking. That's at least 80% of my thinking. Okay, and that's correct apostolically. But pastorally, we need life balance. Does that make sense? People need to spread out, get married, have a stable life. How, do you understand what I'm saying? So, if, if, if an apostle always is the head of a local church, you might find that that church is sick. I don't know if you guys are connected to what I'm saying. You might find that the church is sick. So, an apostle can pastor a church for a season until the gift that is needed is ready to manifest. So apostles have the grace to do that. You put an apostle, he will do a job for a season, but by function, it shouldn't be done. Do we understand that? Yeah. Are we together? Okay, so for us, to, for us to see continuity in the church, for nurturing 
to progress in the church, what must happen is that we must we must encourage pastoral grace. I kid you not, you will find this as you guys grow in leadership. What you'll find is that there are times where you will call somebody, you try to explain something to them, they won't understand you. But so with the pastoral grace, we will say the same exact thing you said, and they will get it. Does that make sense? So grace for continuity is really with the pastoral office. And it's important for us not to underestimate the pastoral. So apostles are establishmentarians, but pastors have the grace for continuity. Apostles carry the grace for quality assessment. Pastors carry the grace for spiritual, to execute things spiritually. So in the apostolic an apostle may be able to come, for example, remember there was, a, there, was a, there was a move of God that broke out in the New Testament and the apostles were sent down to impact on the people and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues. Basically, so how, I'm teaching a bit about the apostle, how an apostle looks at something may not be how other fivefold ministries may look at it. An apostle may come in and look at it from another angle and think, hmm, okay, this is a very interesting thing. This part of the balance of the equation is missing. An apostle is grace for quality assessment. He says differently, right? But a pastor is grace to execute things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? A pastor is grace to execute things in a local congregation. So pastors can be elders of a local congregation. One. But pastors can also be heads of different demographics within a local church. So pastors, so when we use the word pastor, we can say senior pastor. Actually, the word we can use is elder who has the function of a pastor. That's another way to say it. So elder, but that, that elder has the function of a pastor. That's another way to look at it. Okay. But when we use the word pastor, a pastor can also a pastor can be the head of a local church, but also a pastor can be the, the one who leads different demographics within a church. So elder of men, elder over women. Does that make sense? Pastor over women, pastor over men. So it doesn't just refer to the head of a local church. That's why you can have stuff like associate pastor. Lead pastor, assistant pastor. I saw something the other day, I almost laughed anyway. This is a major thing. Someone said, uh, We have ordained this person into the office of assistant pastor. I said, There is no office <laughs> of assistant pastor. You can ordain the person. I have to, why am I teaching this? Because part of what we have to learn here is how to do things correctly. Unless if you do that, I will just call you and just laugh for five minutes and drop the phone. <laughs> I'll just laugh. I won't even say anything. I'll just laugh, 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 laugh. <laughs> and then drop the phone. And then Jesus said that you should be, you know, offense, you should be careful. So make sure you're not offended. Okay. There is no office of assistant pastor, but there is the office of the pastor who can be designated to assist. Right. You have to use your words correctly. Right. Yeah. So office of a pastor, but who's who's been designated to assist. So you can have that pastors over different demographics. <laughs> <laughs> you 
got pastors of a different demographic. Women's pastor, men's pastor, youth pastor, their pastors. Children's pastor. <laughs> Basically. Say? Say? The one I don't like, I meant worship pastor. That is so wrong. That is so you can't have a worship pastor. Basically, because anyway, we won't get into all of that. You can you use the word. If you're looking for a word for I think that worship ministry in a church falls under the prophetic, by the way. That's what I think. Because in the old testament, Elijah said, bring me a minstrel before he prophesied. So I think that if there is anything, so maybe what can happen is, maybe someone can be ordained, maybe a deacon, you know, in that area. Sir? No, worship deacon, just a deacon. Just, just <laughs> maybe a deacon, or the person can be ordained an elder, um, you know, and, and we find other combinations, but I don't think that worship pastor is like, because to me, pastor means you're dealing with people. What they're trying to say, okay, so uh, I didn't, uh, I don't think that's in charge of worship. So, what she's done, she's actually opened up a new level of trouble because part of, no, no, it's okay, it's good. What what they're trying to say is that the word pastor is like GP in the church, general practitioner. Wow. Yeah, so the word pastor in the church is what everybody does. And it's so, to me, I find it so unintelligent. If someone is an evangelist, call them evangelist. If someone is a pastor, call them pastor. So the word pastor in the church is used generically to describe everybody that is called by God. That's how some of, some churches use it. So we need to bring those definitions up because sometimes we're not able to receive people in their office because we don't identify, no, this is not a pastor, this is an evangelist, this is not a pastor, this is a prophet. So and that's, that's that. So you might find some people, they are prophets, but they are called pastor. But because people don't know that they're prophets, they can't really suck or, or take, you know, draw grace in that, in that. So what they mean is suck the person in charge of, yeah, just use what you got, just use worship director or something yeah, let's use that. Amen. Are we together? We're getting somewhere. Amen. Okay, so um, apostles can. Um, so in, in Acts 20, verse 17, from Meletus, I've mentioned this severally, but just taking the Acts 20, 17, from Meletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he was when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he was the pastors, the elders of the church that he called for. Okay. Um, apostles can spearhead. I want you to contrast the the differences. Because um, this whole thing about apostles and overexerting their influence started a long time ago. I read through the days of Kenneth Hagen, apparently they had the same thing. Someone just comes and says, you know, what you lack in this church is apostleship. I need to be apostle over you. <laughs> yeah, so it's been around for a while. Apostles can spearhead move, movements, missions, establish churches, pastor them for a season, raise leaders. Okay. Um, we have, like, we had, I would say, more resident apostles in the Bible, like Peter. Peter didn't, the Bible doesn't let us know that Peter traveled as much as Paul. And I don't want you to mix that up. So in this part of this training we're doing, we help you identify your calling and push you in that direction. 
Okay, so you had people that were more resident, like Peter, they were apostles, they were more resident. But there's a difference between the apostolic ministry, the order of the apostolic ministry that Peter belonged to, is different to the order of apostolic ministry that Paul entered into. The order of Peter's apostolic ministry, Peter was an apostle, was part of the twelve, Paul wasn't. Okay, the twelve apostles, the reason why God raised them was for them to be eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's written in the scriptures. Eyewitnesses meaning that they had first-hand account of his life and his testimony. And because of that, they were able to bear witness to very key foundational elements of his life and ministry. Peter was Peter, Peter belonged to that order. But Paul belonged to a different order of apostles who, who brought another dimension of Christ to the church. So in Peter's type of apostleship, it seems to me that these apostles were more resident, maybe at the church in Jerusalem. Um, actually, he uses the word apostles and elders, and they were responsible for some of the governance of the church in terms of doctrine and things that happen. Does that make sense? But generally speaking, from Acts 13, we understand that apostles are sent out to be establishmentarians of the kingdom. Are we together? I'm just giving you that difference because I wanted to contrast that with that of a pastor. Okay, quickly. Let me give you um okay, let me give you this one and then I'll give you um uh some key requirements that I believe that pastors and shepherds should have and should continually develop. Now this what I want to share with you is so deep. Spiritual shepherds and pastors are a gift and a reward for obedience. Spiritual shepherds and um, pastors are a gift. Actually, you know, the Bible says he gave gift to men. Right? Pastors are a gift. God gave gift to men, but these gifts are gifts to the body. Amen? All right. Spiritual shepherds are a gift and reward for obedience. In Jeremiah chapter 3 from verses 15 to 16. Jeremiah 3, 15, 15 to 16. Jeremiah 3, 15 to 16. It says that then in the final time, I will give you spiritual shepherds. I'm reading from the Amplified. After my own heart, we will feed you with knowledge and true understanding. In those, it will be those days when you have repented and multiplied and increased in the land, says the Lord. They will no longer say the act of the covenant of the Lord. It will not come to mind, nor will they seriously remember it, nor will they miss it nor will it be made again. For instead, the ark which symbolized my presence, I will be present. So look at that part. If you look at it in the Amplified, it says, in, in those final times, I will give you spiritual shepherds. And then in one place it says, that will be in the days where you have repented. So <laughs> the contrast to that is that sometimes wicked shepherds are a reward for disobedience. Some people have the shepherds they have because God has spoken to them, repent, repent, wow. repent, repent. They won't repent. 
So God has left them in the hands of wicked shepherds. We have examples of that. Israel, for example. Every time Israel did whatever, God just gave them a king that to just... To just <laughs> right? So, wicked shepherds are for disobedience. Like Israel were giving kings who dealt with them when they did not seek the Lord. Okay. Now, my final point on this. I want to give you some requirements of a pastor or shepherd. One of the key requirements that you must have as a shepherd or in the office of a pastor is discernment. Okay, is discernment. The ability to see and perceive correctly. I have found that most pastors really call to the office have a gift in the area of discernment because otherwise you would not be able to separate wolves from sheep. Okay? And one of the ways you can you can grow in discernment, you can cultivate discernment by even deepening your study of the word of God. The Bible says that strong meat, I think Hebrews chapter 4 or something like that, it says strong meat belongs to those who by reason of exercise have trained their spiritual senses to separate between good and evil. So you can actually train your spiritual senses to separate between. The Bible says that is spiritual judges all things. Yeah. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So through training in the word, and I'm not just talking about reading the Bible, I'm talking about literally comparing scripture to scripture and really, really exposing yourself to deep study of God's word. You can actually train your senses and grow in discernment. One of the ways you grow in discernment as well is praying in the spirit. Yeah, praying as in sometimes you just have to just lay those tongues to, I mean, just recklessly, right? Praying in the spirit helps you grow. It, 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 it helps you to be, you know, sensitive. You know, some basic things you must know is that I don't think I should be teaching that here, but some people say, oh, look at me, everyone. They're like, oh, let's be in the spirit. No, you can't be in this. You're... <laughs> the Bible, you know, the, the Bible says that you are in the spirit. Okay? Let's be in the spirit. We're not magicians. <laughs> We're not magicians. Okay? We don't just be, no. You're either in the spirit or you're not. But walk in the spirit. So you have to understand that normally, that, you know, you are, um, uh, um, uh, someone told me something, a very good brother of mine told me that someone came to his, his, um, his, his senior minister's office and said, oh, I'm going to Nigeria. Said, oh, really? You're going to Nigeria? I didn't know that. Huh? That's really strange. Okay, wait, just wait. I mean, I kept quiet and meditated. I said, I meditated for a while. I said, oh, this is why you're going to Nigeria. You're going because of this, that, that, that. I'm just giving the whole journey there, right there. Now, the guy didn't say, ah, let me be in the spirit. If he didn't know that he was already in the spirit and the endowment to do that was already present, he wouldn't have tapped into it. So there's a consciousness you must have about the endowment that follows your office, any office you carry. 
That's why Paul kept telling Timothy that you stir up the gift of God. He told him, I think, twice, stir up the gift of God. And he said, neglect not. He told him, stir it up. Then he said, don't neglect it. When I was, you know, myself and Bishop were walking this morning, and I was praying, I was like, I stare up the gift. I stare. <laughs> I don't know who, who my head was walking and praying. <laughs> I was like, that, that's... That's how I would preach. I don't just like, I, you know, I study and all of that stuff, but I, I, I know there's a deposit of God in me. And the same thing for the office that God has called you to. So you, there's a, when, especially, you know, obviously you're ordained into ministry, it's there, you know, obviously you have endowment before you're able to handle it. You're ordained into ministry, that's something you must do. There's, there's an impartation of God already in your spirit, resident already, and then you can stir it up. Right. So when you're praying, you don't just pray, oh God, come, help me. No, there's a stirring already in your spirit. And so one of those things you can stir, even if God has called you, is discernment. But not only can you stir that through the office, you can actually develop that through the word of God and prayer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Quickly. Um, the next one, this is so key. This is so key. Is knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. In the scripture we read, Jeremiah 3, 15 to 16. He says that, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. What are the characteristics of this shepherd? They will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Powerful. Jeremiah um, 3, 15 to 16. They will actually feed you with knowledge and understanding. So that means the quality of shepherds that God is looking for is shepherds that have knowledge and understanding. Oh, there was a scripture. I wrote some scriptures down, but I didn't paste it. Please, someone get uh, Ezekiel 34, 12. And Ezekiel 34, 16. And please see if you read it. There was, there was one place God said, Israel shepherds are blind. But Ezekiel 30, 34, what did I say, 12? And Ezekiel 34, 16. I don't know if it's that. Because God was talking about Israel shepherds. He, in some versions, he used the word watchmen. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so will I seek my sheep. Delivering them from all the places where they are scattered in the congregation. No. Okay, and then please, was that 12? 12, yeah. please do 16. Uh, 16, I will seek, uh, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Find that the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and, and the strong and feed them in judgment. Amen. There's, there's one that I, I missed. Right. Sorry? Just put Israel's Israel's shepherds are blind. And, they, and I think he said they're like mute dogs. If you go to it. Amen. <laughs> Isaiah 56. Please, please read. That's 10. Yeah. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind and ignorant. 
They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. Yeah. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Can you imagine that? That's deep. Can, can, you, can, can you imagine that? Uh, please just read it one more time. Just so that. <laughs> the leaders of my people, yeah. the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds are blind and ignorant. You know, to be blind, I like, I like that he actually uses the word ignorant there. To be blind there means to be ignorant. Does that make sense? They're ignorant. Shepherds who are ignorant are a problem to their people. Yeah, please don't that me. They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. Yeah. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Yeah. The, the, the problem here is that the purpose of the shepherd, the purpose of the watchman, the purpose of the pastor is to protect the sheep from wolves. So if the shepherd is asleep, is not knowledgeable, is ignorant, and when the Bible talks about wolves, it's not just, you know, most times you think, okay, wolves as in demons, doctrine! Sorry? Yeah, best eleven. Sorry, yeah. Um, they are dogs with mighty appetites. Yeah. They never have enough. Yeah. They are shepherds who lack understanding. Yeah. They all turn to their own way. They yeah. seek their own gain. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some of the ministers in our age. Just summarizing Isaiah. Fifty-six. Ten. Right. Mm. So. If leaders, if leaders, this works generally, if leaders are ignorant, spiritually ignorant, you know, you will not know when wolves. Can I share yeah. a bit deeper with you? <laughs> I was part of a church, and uh, this church started bringing in prophets. Prophets are not bad, more like false prophets. <laughs> and these prophets will come and they would. Um, say, you know, I think I shared one with you guys. I see, yeah, I see this, so I see, they see everything, you know. And they will now, after they finish seeing, then they will now say, God said that we should bring 500 pounds. But then, after like maybe five minutes, if you have 400 pounds, bring it. And sometimes you think, gosh, if I knew there was sale today, <laughs> I would have waited. So they brought these prophets in, and I remember speaking to my senior leaders at the time. I told them, I said, this prophet that just wowed the church, I said, is immature. Um, they looked at me and said, so is it you that you're mature? I said, it's not about competition, but I'm just trying to let you know that. If somebody's going to come and exercise the mind of God and take gain from people. So they didn't listen to me. Now that church today has been at the point where it's not been able to recover to the glory that it once had. Now some people would say it is because of this or it's because of that. But I know by spiritual diagnosis that what happened was that the leaders slept and wolves entered and scattered the flock. And what happened was this, when they exchanged the pulpit for money, they didn't realize that they were doing transactional wolves. 
So the people, man, you see this work, is so deep. So they didn't know when false doctrine penetrated the people and, 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 and just demonic influence came in and messed the people and messed with their minds because they slept. So when you see me being very particular about doctrine and who has influence over the people that we serve, please, I want you to mirror that everywhere. You've got to be particular. You don't sleep on that beauty. One of the biggest things that they had to fight constantly in the early church was false doctrine. I was sharing with Lester last week, I was sharing with um, some of our family in Lester. They're watching, I'm sat down with the Australian Fellowship and I showed them this stuff from Bishop Carlton Pearson, the Gospel of Inclusion. Oh. Yeah, yeah, come Sunday, come I don't Sunday, know if you yeah. Yeah, you should watch it and then we need to discuss it. <laughs> What's that, Come Sunday, it's a, it's a show on Netflix about this bishop who was probably one of the pioneering um, Pentecostal bishops in modern American church history. This was a guy, T.D. Jakes, became popular on his stage and everything. Mm -hmm. He used to hold something called Azusa Street. Um, not revival, but, you know, celebration. There was no one who didn't preach for him, from Benny Hinn to Idahosa, any, any minister. One day, he turned around and just said, he went to his work, for, according to Come Sunday, which he authored, went to his church and said that there is no help. Just like that. One Sunday, when I said, there is no help, he said that, then he now developed the theology and said that, you know, hell is here on earth, that people already are going through hell and that you can't think that a loving God would punish people eternally, basically. So he came up with that doctrine and that's how he just went on his own journey. So serious. I'm talking about, as in, I mean, his influence, church 7,000 seater, one of the most racially diverse church in America in those days, well-known, commanding influence, goes off in that direction. I think this case may be a classic case of Hebrews 6. It's impossible for those who have once tasted. Wow. I think that's one of those cases. So we're still preaching that. That there is no help. And then he developed a further theology to say that people don't necessarily need to accept Christ to be saved because Jesus has died for everybody. I love what the College of Bishops did. They called him and they the bishop him straight. Straight. How many years? In ministry? Yeah. Oh gosh, this guy racked years, maybe 20 something years and all that. And then at the end he's like, oh. Yeah. Like and he's still preaching, preaching today. He's still, yeah, still preaching today. He's still carrying they the title to bishop. Yeah, go, go saying, oh, what, I think we should post it on the group so that everybody can. Where I am now, so like, like, watch. Serious, serious case. Like, that's a yeah, that's a good question. When yeah. I mean, said what happened, I was I was trying to say to the brethren and I said to them, I said, this is why it's important to be watchful 
I said that nobody goes from yeah. experiencing yeah. God in that way yeah. to that opposite way. Because you have to break the boundaries of the spirit for you to go to that other extreme. You know, you know, as a child of God, you know, you're you do something, then the Holy Ghost comes at you and then you feel convicted and you know you may not pray for some time, but you know the Holy Ghost is on your case. For you to get to the place where you're so desensitized to God. So I was saying to them that in my opinion, the guy had been in sin for a long time. You don't get to that height of sin in one day. That is like the crescendo of of sin. So that's why I think happened. So he had probably been living in sin for a while and then he just crossed the boundary and couldn't deal with the whole, you know, um, he couldn't deal with the whole, um, he couldn't deal with the whole thing of, you know, condemnation and all of that stuff. Right? So we gotta be, hey, we gotta be watching. We, we, are, we, we are going to see worse things in the end time and this is not the time that you can pastor without knowledge or shepherd either. you need to be informed there are doctrines that can creep into the church things and the thing is when they creep in they can creep in in the most things that deceive people have an appearance of light most things that deceive people have an appearance of light right so God, is, God said that if you're a spiritual shepherd, you're a knowledgeable shepherd. You're a shepherd with understanding. Both in spirit and both intellectually. In natural things, in spiritual things, you're studious. You're aware. Amen. Amen. Did we get that? Yeah. So... So those, number one, I said discernment. Number two, the ability to protect. You must be protective. Number three, knowledge and understanding. So I'm going to end that here, which is the, 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 the seminar I've been doing on the necessity of shepherding and the office of a pastor. So key, so important. And, you know, we've got so much to, to, to revise on there. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. So, are we, Pastor Mary, do we, she's always our conversation. Should we take a break? How do we do this? This is almost two o'clock. Uh, how do we? Yeah, I'll take 20 minutes. And then, and then we'll, do the, we'll go for the last session. Is that okay? Is that wrong with that? Yeah? Okay, all right. So, we'll take a break now. And then when we come back again, we'll go through our questions because I don't want our questions to disappear and then we'll go into the next session and we'll just go straight through amen so there's some refreshments for us at the back um amen amen so father we thank you in jesus name for our our study so far and we trust you by your spirit to continually advance us even as we go on this break we keep our minds rooted and grounded in you and focused on you in jesus mighty name we pray amen 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 Carlton Pearson. Yeah.
Oops.